What Should I Think About is a podcast with me, Celine, and my dad, Stephen. We talk about burning issues in media, politics, and science. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine, and I'm Stephen. And today we're talking about um, Dad's past, present, future. We're going on a Christmas carol of JW <laughs> pasts. Um, no, well, we're just talking about your experience being a ex Jehovah's Witness and what it was like when you were still. Yes. One. So. I don't yeah. know, just start from the beginning. Lay <laughs> yeah. on the sofa. So, <laughs> yeah, this isn't something I've I've really done before. I've hinted at things. I've talked a little bit about things on videos and uh, we've obviously referenced it on, on podcasts. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a very kind of personal experience and it's something that is still actually quite um, raw for me, even though it's like over 20 years ago. Um, that I left Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, so, yeah, it's not something I felt ready to talk about, to be honest, but, but yeah, I think now is probably the time. Um, so it is quite a, a, a dense um, subject, or, um, but the slight lighter note is that you might be help, able to hear our dog snoring in the background, <laughs> yeah. which probably reduces some of the tension a bit. Um, so a long-running theme on our podcast is our dog's behaviour. She's being very good. She's lying in front of the radiator, but she does snore, unfortunately. So you might hear the odd strange noise. It's, it's our dog, uh, Pepper. Okay, so uh, so you, you want me to sort of start... From the beginning. From the beginning. So you were born. <laughs> I and was born. Yes. Then what? <laughs> so I, I suppose I'm third generation... I was third generation Jehovah's Witness. So my both my uh, grandmothers were Jehovah's Witnesses... Um, my paternal grandfather was a Jehovah's Witness. Uh, my maternal grandfather never became a witness. Um, so yeah, I was just born into it. It was what I I knew. It's what I experienced. It was the norm for me. Um, so my earliest memories are going to the Kingdom Hall, um, entering the Watchtower, entering at the Book Study Group. Um, going on field service, knocking on doors, that sort of thing. So, what what are those things that you just said then? Because not, it's not like common knowledge. Mm. So. so yeah, so the Watchtower is the magazine of the Jehovah's Witnesses, if you like. So they they have in the day that I was involved, it was a, a two weekly magazine, so it's produced every two weeks. Now I think it's much more reduced, but um, we would then study the magazine the watchtower every sunday and the format of that was uh, a brother we the males are called brothers in the kingdom hall so an elder would be taking the watchtower the, a paragraph would be read from the watchtower which included all the answers and then the watchtower conducting sorry the elder conducting the watchtower would ask a question which was based on the paragraph and then everybody or anybody could put their hand up and would answer the question. So when I think back to it now, it's, it's mind numbingly boring because it's just like, here's the answers. I'm going to read them to you. So there would be a brother there reading the answers and then the question would come and basically you just to rehash those, 
What was it in the was paragraph? incredibly boring because I just went to a few, <laughs> and obviously, um, well, I went to a few because Mum was mm. still going after you, but um, and therefore I went a couple times, and I've been a few times with Grandma and Granddad when they'd be babysitting as yeah. a child but i just remember being so bored but the clock's behind you so it's like really rude if you keep turning around to look at the clock but oh my god no, i i because where the kingdom hall i went to as a child the clock was on the side wall so you could actually see it and i do remember looking at that clock over and over again thinking that hand never moves it was like it like time had stopped yeah <laughs> yeah i suppose for a child it's always going to be boring anyway um but yeah, the format is very mind-numbing because there's no real, you know, no intellectual stimulation there. There's nobody saying, oh, what about this? And this doesn't make sense. And how does this work? No. You know, none of that. But it's just grandma basically... seemed excited about it. She was like, oh, you're going to do an answer for the well, question. that's different. So that was the only time when it was had a, a, a bit of excitement. And of course, that was exciting for a child. Um, so you, we're going to help you prepare an answer mm. at the watchtower. We'd look at the watchtower and we'd say, right, what what do you think, Stephen, you could answer this week? And um, in the early days, it was, you know, like Jehovah or Jesus. Um, and you put your hand up and and you'd say, oh, they'd say, yes, yes, young brother Matha, mm. uh, or yes, young Stephen. And um, the roving microphone would come along. So mm. there was two male witnesses on either side of the, the aisle. Women aren't to be trusted no, with the No, women not, not able to have the microphone. Um, so one of the male brothers would hold the microphone for you and then you get to talk into a microphone. So I, I think I did this when I was really so young. I can't... Um, I honestly can't remember the first time I did that. Mm. Um, but yeah, very, very young. We were trained to give the right answer at a very very young age um but that was an exciting bit you know it's, it's your turn now this is paragraph eight this is this is your bit come on Stephen. did they have um, <laughs> so you knew what questions would come up then so yeah because the answer. questions are written underneath yeah. um the, on the page so let's paragraph one brother so and so can you read paragraph one pl- um, please and they read the paragraph out loud and then the person conducting the watchtower says okay so the first question is part a um bloody bloody blah and then it's up to somebody in the audience as i say to rehash what was mm. in the paragraph mm. um now and again there'd be a few scriptures for, thrown in so the older more experienced people would generally say oh yes well this the scripture in genesis 13 yeah. you know it's just all. a reading exam isn't it yeah and um, comprehension it is very much like comprehension you know when, when like you're in primary school and you mm. have to read um, mm. something and then there's a bunch of questions to see if you comprehended it yeah. or not it's just that isn't it yeah so that was my earliest memories you know going to the meetings to do that at the watchtower um, on a Sunday there was also a public talk which was even more boring because there was no interaction that was just literally somebody stood on the platform talking for an hour because in those days it was about 50 minutes 55 minutes so he would literally get up there and talk for an hour using the bible um, but there was no question and answer. There was nothing no. like that. Now and again, good speakers would have like a, an illustration or maybe some pictures up on the wall. Some of them were more interesting than others. Yeah. And yeah, some of them were quite good speakers and you could actually listen to them. But um, as a very young child, you're never going to find that interesting. No. Um, but I remember going to those meetings. Um, I won't go through all the different meetings that there were, but there was also a book study group, which was kind of similar to the Watchtower format, but that was in a home. Mm. So there was like a local home that you'd go to and you'd all sit there 
again, listening to a paragraph being read. As I got a bit older, I began to take more of a role. So I, even as a quite a young person, I would read some paragraphs and so on. Um, but yeah, so there's lots of that. And that's that's um, my earliest memories, really. I remember liking the group study because we went to some... I can't remember his name. I'm not yeah, going to say it anyway. Say it. <laughs> so we went to anonymous man's house, and he had a snooker table. Yeah. And I was just like, "When we're done, I'll get to play snooker, <laughs> and it will be much more fun than this." And then we would, we would get all of the younglings, yeah, and go and play snooker. I think you know where that was. I do. Yeah. Yeah, that was that um, was more fun, wasn't it? <laughs> that was yeah. I mean, you were lucky in that respect because you you went somewhere cool, but. Um, when I was, <laughs> my book study groups were generally with some ancient person um, mm. who, you know, it was all musty smelling with a, a clock ticking in the background. And it was like. <laughs> there was no snooker room. <laughs> no, there was no snooker. Oh, um, no, I see. Yeah. Just mistakes were made you should have gone to the snooker house much better but it was quite it was quite handy to go to an old person's house because it, it meant that they got a visit from somebody at least you know oh, right. um but anyway that was so that was um that was growing up very normal to me so we'd had like technically it was five meetings a week but it was spread over three nights so for me growing up it was a sunday afternoon um, it was a Tuesday evening and a Thursday evening. That was th- those were the meeting nights, mm-hmm. um, and the the Thursday meeting sort of didn't finish till ten, really. Thursday, yeah. Oh. So um, so that was quite a late night for kids then getting up mm. for school in the next morning. So it was always a bit of a bone of contention. Um, Did they not care about the children? Does no one care about the children? <laughs> the children, yeah. Um, no, it was it was just not considered a problem. You know, you you just had to go to bed as soon as you got home. Um, so life was very much it very much revolved around being a witness. Of course, Saturday morning was field ministry, uh, which meant knocking on doors. So I would go with my mum and dad, uh, knocking on doors. So on we'd... a Saturday, sorry, on a Saturday, Saturday morning. So you would, because you, you have to go first, don't you, to the hall, and they're like, right, this is where you go. Yes. So it starts with a field. Uh, ministry uh, field service meeting or meeting for field service Uh, it's so long ago now I'm forgetting the lingo but meeting for field service is where you go first so you might go to again this person's home or you might go to the Kingdom Hall and you'll read a little inspirational day's text Mm. often it's about witnessing going from door to door or talking to people about the Bible and then the person in charge again a male Women, no women have any leadership role in the organisation at all. So women are too emotional um, and caring. As I was told, women are too emotional too and emotional. caring. Yeah. And that would be bad. Yeah. Obviously. Why that stops them from organising people to go out and field ministry isn't quite clear. So to be too high, hysterical <laughs> and emotional about it. So it would allow people to There's do what they wanted. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's not get into that. Um, but yeah, that was a... Uh, it was always males, and they would basically pair us off. So, you know, Brother Watson, would you like to work with Brother Phillips this morning? Um, and obviously, you said yes. Sister you wouldn't be like, Smith. no, I hate Brother Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sister Smith, maybe you'd like to work with Sister um, Green. And Sister Green would say, well, actually, I've arranged with Sister um, Holmes to work with 
could oh, we've got Sherlock and we've got Holmes and Watson there so mm. I was just making these names yeah. up and I've already arranged to go on a return visit with, with Sister Holmes so we were going to work together this morning oh okay that's fine and so you have all these kind of weird sort of social negotiations going on there's, there's some that don't really like each other that much and um, and you know there's as a youngster you would generally get put with either your parents obviously or sometimes you know I would a brother young brother Matthew would you like to work with uh, you know brother such and such today and you'd depending on whether you liked them or not you'd um, you'd either think that was a great idea or you know Atricious. oh dear um, but yeah so in the early days you'd accompany somebody as they knocked on the door doing the witnessing work and then as, as I got a bit older I, I started to be told I needed to actually say something so I'd mm. prepare a little presentation on the doors um at first it was placing magazines just interrupting the middle of the podcast here because i want you to remember that you need to tell a friend about this podcast so that we can keep making cool stuff and you can talk about it with your friends because it's more fun if we're all getting involved so tell a friend share it text them about it get involved back to the podcast then so yeah. what, what is placing magazines? Placing Just magazines. throwing them through the door before they can shut it on you. <laughs> no. Shoving it through the letterbox even while they're trying to shove it back no, at no, you. No, no, you didn't do that. So things have changed a little bit now. But when I was growing up, um, you because we were a charity, you couldn't technically sell the magazines. Mm. So you couldn't say, we're selling these magazines for 30p for the pair. Um, so you couldn't say that but what you could say is you can have these magazines for a contribution mm. of 30 pence mm. um, so it's just the way you worded it so if you worded it like that then you weren't selling the magazines you were saying you can have the magazines and they were giving you a contribution to your work now of course it, this is obviously um, a technicality and a way to get around mm. the fact that you were really selling them because they didn't get the mags unless you they gave you the 30p no. um, but that's why you called it a placement as opposed to a sale mm. um, so we didn't say we'd sold magazines we'd say we'd place them or bibles or books or other things like that so uh, we were placing magazines mm. so yeah that was I was first of all trained to try to place magazines and it would go something like um, hello my name's Stephen and I'm uh, showing your neighbours this magazine about, um, you know, why is the world so bad, or, or what is there a god, or do you believe that the earth will survive forever, or whatever it is? And this article goes into detail to show you um, what the Bible says about this. And you might open a page to a picture or something. And then you might say, um, and you can read these magazines for a contribution of 30 pence for the Watchtower and its partner, The Awake. And you'd wait then if they'd be interested in buying them. And sometimes they would say, just a minute, and they'd go in their house and get their 30p. And obviously more than often they would say, no thank you, not interested. Yeah. And that was if they gave you the time to do your little patter. But as a youngster, I think, People were generally a bit more patient. They would let you say your little patter. And then if they took pity on you, they might buy the magazines. Mm. Um, but Do you think didn't. people liked having um, the kids come with them? Because then they'd actually get a chance to be heard. Because <laughs> if you're just all the, like the oldies, all the... 
What do you adult. think the witnesses themselves like yeah. having a child with them? Yeah, because it gave yeah, you an possibly. opportunity. Yeah, it was a little prop you could you yeah. could get an in in. Um, yeah, I mean, different householders would react differently to children doing that work. I mean, now I think about it, it's it's fairly exploitative, I think. Yeah, and um, yeah, unethical. I would I would suggest, but it, it obviously had its advantages for for the witnesses because yeah it was more difficult to slam the door on a on a little I don't know six year old kid like, isn't it Hi, sir. yeah so I, I, would, I did that I... Word of God. <laughs> <laughs> slams door on face yeah. <laughs> like, to the next one yeah. and dogs was the other thing I was scared of. I mean I hated um, I hated people being nasty to me and um, rude to me and I did I didn't really like going on the ministry but in the early days there was a little bit of um I don't know, feeling of doing something important. So, yeah, as a child, as a, you know, I don't know, six, seven, eight-year-old, you feel like an adult or like a grown-up and you're doing something important. So I think I enjoyed that about it. I didn't like the responses I got most of the time. And I was scared of dogs, which was always a big fear. So, you know, you'd walk in just into somebody's front uh, garden um, a lot of the territory we worked on, they actually had front gardens that were all fenced around. So mm. often there would be dogs in there that, you know, some of them were quite nasty. But we'd just kind of blase walk in. and um, Yeah, that was always a fear of mine as a child. I remember someone got, like, their hand bit by mm. a dog in the letterbox or mm. something. Well, every now and again there was a... There was a, a se- they, put, they put the thing through, don't they? No, for the... Um, when it's like the eat, like the flatbread. <laughs> yeah, the, so the, the memorial, water. there might be a special campaign to mm. get as many people to hear about the memorial. So yeah, in, on those occasions, it does become a, more of a leaflet drop. Um, so yeah, they may have... Uh, uh, and there was there was also leaflet campaigns at various times of the year, uh, which were a bit different to the normal magazine placements. And again, you might put those through the door. So yeah, you, you may get your finger bitten. But... It was more for me. It was the fear of a big dog coming around the corner and mm. attacking me. So yeah, that was um, that was early memories are very much tied around being a Jehovah's Witness, and um, uh, yeah, I think um, in those days, I mean, uh, I suppose the earliest I remember about my thinking, I remember certain things happening when I was five, six, and so on. But I think there comes a point well we know this in psychology that there becomes a point when you start to really understand your own mind mm. and that other people have minds and that tends to happen around sort of seven and eight and that is when i start kind of remembering how i felt properly about being a jehovah's witness um and i often say that when i was about eight or nine that was the time when i really believed it the most yeah i really believed it and i I, re- I wanted to get baptised. I remember asking my dad, um, saying to him, I want to get baptised. I want to mm. I want to be a proper Jehovah's Witness. I want to be baptised. Um, I remember listening to speakers on the platform thinking it was wonderful. Um, I, I had ambitions to be a circuit overseer and a missionary. That's what I wanted to be when I was mm. growing up. Mm. Um, and it was so... I was so... I believed it so much. Um, I mean, the story... Um, I sometimes talk about when I when I went to my first school, my primary school. I was five when I first went to school, and um, as a Jehovah's Witness, you don't you don't 
do the things that other kids do. So whilst all the other kids were in the morning assembly, um, I would sit out in the library. So I was on my own in the library and people would come up and say, you know, well, have you been naughty, Stephen? Because that was also yeah. the punishment area. Yeah. And I'd say, no, no, I'm... And I would then say, no, I'm one of Jehovah's Witnesses and we don't go into morning assembly. Mm. But I was the only one in the school. so And they hadn't really had any other Jehovah's Witnesses there. Because in those days, you know, you forget how few there were. There's still a few, not very many. Well, things. worldwide, there's about eight and a half million, so yeah. I understand. But in those days, you probably only talk about a million couple of million mm. um, and in the UK it would have been very small so the teachers had never met one before and um, my mum and dad had gone to school to say what I couldn't do and that was basically going to morning assembly do anything to do with Christmas do anything to do with my birthday or anybody else's birthday anything to do with um, Halloween anything to do with Easter um, it was all I had to sit separate from all of that so mm. it was a very isolating experience and because there were no other Jehovah's Witnesses in the school um I spent and most of my oldest, time on my own on my own yeah because yeah. obviously you have relatives that went yeah. eventually went to the same school but you were the were you, were you the oldest out of I was I was um the, I do have an older cousin oh. um but she went to a different primary school mm. so that's why they just didn't yeah. sort of have any experience of people like us. Mm. Um, and, yeah, so I remember hearing the children singing their hymns because um, the, the library was actually right attached to the hall. So I could hear yeah. what was going on. So that's obviously why you couldn't go because um, it's not just like morning assembly was evil and pagan. It was because they were singing hymns and stuff, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it was, there was a big religious element to it. So that's why okay. it was sort of group worship, mm. which as a... As an atheist now, I would I would say is you know also wrong to do. Mm. It's wrong to indoctrinate children into a, yeah. a religious um, order even then. But we don't really do that so much now. Not really. At, at school, we did sing some hymns, but to be honest, it was more just like they were just songs. Yeah. Realistically, it wasn't very religious, um, and we did. You know, it's the songs that everyone knows from school. Like he's got the whole world in his hands and such like that. And everyone's yeah. just having a nice little dance, doing like the little it's cupped hands. And him, it's quite it? no. Yeah. But then we'd finish it off with "Living on a Prayer" by Bon Jovi. So, <laughs> so you know, that's more like it yeah. because it says prayer in it, so it was fine. <laughs> um, so that was yeah. like my experience with that. So it was, yeah. I think if we did have witnesses in our school. Which we might have, I don't know, to be honest. They probably just sat in there and didn't sing No, I don't songs. think they'd have, they wouldn't have they taken still would part, have, yeah. yeah. Uh, anything that smacks of um, interfaith. Mm. So Jehovah's Witnesses are dead against interfaith. So like a lot of religions will um, have events where they get together and they, yeah, yeah. they sort of show mutual respect for each other. Well, Jehovah's Witnesses don't do any of that. No because, mutual respect. <laughs> no, because they think they're all part of Babylon the Great, which mm. is the world empire of false religions. So mm. anything that's not a Jehovah's Witness is part of Babylon the Great, mm. this great harlot um, that is signified in Revelation as being you know, a disgusting thing. Mm. Um, so the language they use about other religions is, is really... Um, I think it's hard for people to understand how terrible it is because they're not like that when they knock on your door. But when you read the literature, um, it's quite amazing how vitriolic the the way that that the clergy and 
uh, false religion is talked about as they as they would describe it um so yeah whilst on the one hand um you know hoping that they have their rights to 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 worship in the way that they want to worship mm-hmm. they're very intolerant of, of other people and the way yeah. that they worship which um which is i think quite hypocritical mm-hmm. um anyway that was um that was my experience um at school was being very separate from all of it but i was in the middle of a little story actually so when when i went into the library for the first time um i, I remember sitting there and i was just sat, sat there i had all the books i could read so i had a few favorites the history of football the history of cricket mm. um mostly around that sort of stuff so i'd, I'd sit and i'd look at the pictures on that and read as best i could those books and i remember mum and dad asking me how i got on and they said you know are you okay do you feel do you feel a bit lonely when you sat there on your own mm. and i said no because i've got a chair next to me and that's where my angel sits so I, I really believed that I had this chair next to me. I had a, always had a chair next to me. Mm. And that's where my angel, the angel would sit. Yeah. Because that's what I was taught. And the imagery of that is still used today for youngsters. That you're kind of, whilst you might feel like you're in a minority, if you could open your eyes and look at the heavens, you've got all these um, myriads of angels who are with you. So actually mm. you're not in the minority. And as a little boy, five, six years old... That was the imagery that was in my head. I had this angel sat next to me who essentially was looking after me with my friend. So you were like a perfect little Jehovah's Witness boy, weren't you? You were like every parent's dream <laughs> Jehovah's Witness baby. <laughs> like yeah. versus, like if you just compare you and mum, it's so interesting to be honest because you've got this like very sweet little story and you're like, you know, I'm sure that that would have been an example to other people as well mm. like well Stephen has his little angel so he's fine he can stand in the adversity <laughs> da, da, da. and it would be this story to hold up yeah. and then mum's childhood story which we'll, I'll show it to her she can listen to this and decide if it's allowed to be in or not <laughs> was she was at playgroup or like nursery whatever like so same sort of age stamping and she, they were like what are you doing she was like I'm stamping on the ants like jehovah would stamp on all the bad people (laughs) or something to that extent and like the teacher had to tell her mum she was like she's frightening the other children (laughs) about stamp about like god stamping on them i'm not sure if that is you know the the story is completely accurate maybe we need to get women to uh, just to tell the story story, because i'm trying to remember bits of it but But, basically the essence is she was stamping and suggesting (laughs) that that. they would be stamped upon yeah um so yeah, yeah which you know you have to admire the courage of the convictions on that one really yeah but, but then mm. there's you being like i have my angel next to me so it's okay <laughs> <You're all wetted>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah. then how did you you know you so go that's, from that to well, well exes, that's but... a long story yeah um obviously we'll kind of get there um you both quit the band so <laughs> eventually <laughs> yes um yeah, so I, I I really believed it at that time, and it was, you know, it was a fantasy, wasn't it? The fantasy was that um, all the bad people, the people that did bad things that you heard about on the news or that you read about, they'd all be destroyed. God would destroy all those people, and only good people would be left, people that you could trust, people that were nice, people that were faithful, um, and... The idea was that God had created the earth 
for everybody and and all the creatures to live in peace and harmony so the idea is that the idea that animals would attack and kill each other even for food was was something that they they don't believe so um the picture of what was for the future was god's going to destroy all the wicked people um he's going to put the earth right and make it a perfect paradise the whole world will be a paradise that we'll have a part in creating and even the animals will not be dangerous so you know you'll have your own pet lion yeah we'll all be vegan including the lions including the animals Mm. yeah so we'll all have um we'll all be able to pet a lion or a panda or uh, you know whatever your fantasy is and you'll you'll live in in this um idyllic existence where no one will die there won't be dying there won't be uh mourning or sorrow um, there's a scripture in revelation which was always my favorite that kind of says all that and that you know pain will be no more the former things have passed away so it was this this fantasy of living a perfect peaceful existence where you were afraid of nothing and as a child who was quite afraid of quite a lot of things i think that was very very appealing i wanted to live in that world i wanted to live in that paradise where everything was happy and peaceful and i didn't need to be afraid of anything anymore because i was very afraid of the world you know at the kingdom hall we were told how bad the world was um you know the world is full of murderers and and um evil people and thieves and you can't trust anybody and of course the news that you'd hear on television kind of backed that up because it was all about bad stuff very much like um you know david mitchell would i lie to you when he was afraid of the sun (laughs) um primed and ready (laughs) it's it's the same sort of feeling i guess if, if anyone's you're the right audience for that on breaking the fourth wall you you've seen that episode haven't you you know yeah i think i mean the point i guess is that um different people respond differently to these inputs yeah. so um I, i'm not going to talk about my family members much because i think that's something that i don't want to do mm-hmm. um but other people uh, around me maybe didn't experience the same feelings that i did because it wasn't they didn't respond the same way just like the david mitchell story where we were scared of the sun because people had talked about getting skin cancer i think for me i was that sort of person where you know i took it all to heart so i really did i i I, if somebody said the world is full of murderers and that's what i believed Mm. um because i think like that's the good example is just comparing you and mum often because Mm. like she wasn't getting all like no. afraid from what they were saying. She was there, you know. She had to go. She was made to go. She would be first in and last out because Granddad would take everybody home, and you know they were always having people come, like the higher ups coming round and yeah. hosting, and you know they were in like a, at the heart of it. But she just was like, oh, "I'm going to go buy a Christmas card for my friend," <laughs> which shows the level or the degree yeah. to which she was actually concerned because she was like, "Oh no, you know what I fancy." Jackson, Michael Jackson's thriller, which was a no-no because it had all like zombies in it and so on and so on. Which was like that sounds good. Um, so yeah. it's just different responses, different people. Different people respond differently to the same inputs, and that's I think that's we know that from psychology. You know, yeah. people have um, individual differences, which means they will respond differently to mm. the same situations. And for me, it was just really toxic. Um, and now I think about it, I, I you know I, I realise how toxic it was. Toxic mm. it was. Um, 
I've spoken about this to you before, I think, but when I was growing up, I can't remember a time when I wasn't scared. I woke up with a knot in my stomach every morning. So I don't know when that started. Obviously, as a child, very young child, didn't have that, I guess. But as soon as I could think for myself, I, I woke up every morning nervous with it well i call it a knot in my stomach you know when you've got this kind of dread mm. that there's something that's gonna something bad is gonna happen um and that was around all sorts of things it was around fear of what was going to happen we were always told that persecution was on its way so i was always afraid of persecution you know what if they tortured us what if they um you know got us in a room somewhere and made us tell than where the brothers were that was one of the things you know the brothers might be hiding and i i might be the one that that is tortured to, to give up where they are um what if um yeah the other thing was blood guiltiness the blood guilt and this is one of the most horrific um concepts for a child that is sensitive is to believe that you can be blood guilty what is blood guilt yeah so blood guilt is when the bible talks about blood guilty uh, people who basically are responsible for somebody else's death so basically if if there's something happening let's say um i don't know there's a there's a hole opened up in the middle of the road somewhere and you notice that hole and people were driving into it and killing and dying if you didn't do something about it and say you know, stop um, stop the traffic then you in some level you're you're guilty for their deaths because you could have done something to stop it so that's the concept of blood guilt so blood guilt is, is basically being responsible for somebody else's death and if you believe that the end is coming and that anybody who's not a jehovah's witness is going to be killed at armageddon mm. if you don't warn them and try to change their thinking and their ways then you are partly responsible for their death, which makes you blood guilty. So I had this weight of blood guiltiness, even as a child, because for me, my territory was the uh, friends that I had at school, or indeed anybody at school, my, my school mates, who, by the way, thought I was weird anyway, because I didn't go to morning assembly, I didn't, didn't do christmas cards i didn't celebrate birthdays um but now the next thing was i had to try and witness to them and try and get them to have a bible study and i even succeeded on one occasion i got this this young lad to have a bible study with me because it was really important to save these people and if i didn't do everything i could then i was blood guilty now for a child what does that do to a child's mind mm. That just made me constantly paranoid. I mean, and when have you done enough? You know, I've spent an hour on the field service this morning. Yeah, but if it's the end is coming and you don't, well, let's spend another hour then. Well, is that enough? You know, what can I do? I need mm. to do more. So you have this feeling that you're never doing enough because the stakes are so high and that you're personally responsible for other people's lives. I feel like it was, it, it's kind of the same as, um, we've discussed this before in relation to other things but those talks and those mantras aren't really for you because you're already bought in as much as anyone could be bought in it was more to try and get people i suppose like mum to be like 
they wanted her to take notice of that and be more witnessing because she would be caught up for not having done enough well, time or so on. Do you not think? Because maybe, but you're I already doing all the things. Well, I don't think so. I mean, if, if I was doing 10 hours a month, because you record your time, yeah. so if I was doing 10 hours a month witnessing, then why am I not doing 15 hours a month? Mm. And they would um, talk about experiences of people in different parts of the country or different countries mm. where, you know, this young man, um, regular pioneers, and he's only 16, you know, and he, he, he uses his school as his um, as his territory and he's, um, he's got five Bible studies, you know. And, and the influence is really clear, you know, why are you not doing that? Yeah. yeah. So I don't think it's that I was excessively picking up a message that was meant for the people no actually they want everybody to feel that you must do more and so you have this feeling that you're never doing enough and that message is constantly reinforced um and this idea of blood guilt was was with me so fear for me was the prominent emotion fear of blood guilt fear of persecution fear of getting told off fear of not giving a good witness so the other way you could be blood guilty was if i did something naughty as a child i would call it naughty obviously mm-hmm. um, if i did something naughty and somebody said look at that stephen he's a jehovah's witness and look at what he's doing and it stopped them from listening next time a witness knocked on their door mm-hmm. then i could be held responsible for that because i'd been a bad witness so that was another way for me to be blood guilty so i was i was responsible for their not listening to the good news about the kingdom because of my bad behaviour at school. So these are the sorts of weights that, that I felt as a child growing up. And they, they continued. As I, as I got into my teenage years, I felt the same. I was always anxious about doing the right thing, not doing the wrong thing, doing enough, doing more. So yeah, a, a life of, a childhood of anxiety was how I would describe my life. You just said about, you know, your quite young childhood there with your yeah. fears and stuff, um, anxieties and such, which I, I do think, you know, I, I suppose, um, you know, um, it's a, a, a bit of a buzzword now, I suppose, but catastrophizing mm. um, is what we discuss. And I think I have a tendency to catastrophize. Um, so I'll say something a bit wrong and then I'll think about it for months and I'll just be so embarrassed and I'll presume that like I've ruined a friendship or mm. if like someone who normally responds quite quickly doesn't mm. after having said something a bit off I'll presume that mm. it's all mm. done for and that's the end of that um, <laughs> like I'll tell you the most embarrassing one it's like things that you would just I feel like normal people <laughs> would just forget about but I was at grand. I was at, not grandma's, I was at my aunt's. We're looking at old pictures and I thought it was one of Nan. And I was like, oh, didn't know she was like chubby when she was little. And then Auntie Sue's like, that's me. And I'm like, oh, I didn't mean it. No, back up, back up, delete. And I still think about that. And I was like a child when I said that. And I still think about it today and I'm 24. <laughs> and sometimes I'll just be laying there and it will hit me and I'll be deeply embarrassed. <laughs> Um, but at the time as well, I catastrophized over it. I was like, she's, oh, yeah. you know, she's going to hate me now. <laughs> Called her chubby as a child. <laughs> um, but I imagine that, you know, me and you can sometimes be similar in that way. So I feel like, you know, 
I think maybe with that tendency that I think you yes. were one to have as well. Well, if you have a tendency to do that, then the problem is, is, is actually that's being confirmed to you by the by the magazines and the yeah. information you're getting to tell you that, yes, it is a catastrophe. Mm. If I do something that upsets somebody or that stumbles somebody yeah. so that they don't come into the truth, as we call yeah. it, then that is a catastrophe. So, yeah, normally I think what's encouraged with to do if you know someone that has anxiety or like your mm. family member and you're trying to support them is to say, well, is that likely? Yes. Um, or to say, well, I don't think that's likely or just... Mm do you think you might be catastrophizing or yeah. overreacting? Whereas I suppose if you take those worries to an elder or the people that you looked up to for support, they'd probably be like, well, I'm glad that you're thinking about these things. That's Stephen. right. It was, I was rewarded for that type of thinking, really, in my view. Mm. Um, so, I mean, if I'd have said, I suppose if I'd have said, look, I'm really miserable and I'm anxious all the time and I always have a knot in my stomach and I'm scared then I'm get, I'm sure that the people that love me would have yeah. would have tried to help me but of course mm-hmm. nobody does that and you don't do that as a child no you just feel it mm. so and it's only later that you can sort of put it into words and explain what's going on in in your mind um so yeah that was um, the earliest time I can remember there was a um a, I mean, we were told that guns were naughty, guns were bad, you know, guns mm. were bad because they kill people. So we weren't allowed to have toy guns as, as children. Yeah. But again, I took that to um, to the next level, which said, well, if guns are bad, then it's wrong to want guns and it's wrong to think about guns. So once you get to that point, you know, you're you're constantly thinking about something that you know is wrong to think about and you just become... That's the whole pink elephants thing, isn't it? Don't exactly. think of pink elephants yeah. and then you do. Yeah. So it's like... Yeah, that that's quite stressful. So, you know, again, I, I come back to the point that, yes, there is an element of individual differences. So not all Jehovah's Witnesses, not all children of Jehovah's Witnesses will experience what I experience. Perhaps I'm an extreme case. But it certainly contributed to those feelings. And it, it absolutely it is the thing that made me feel that way. Um, so yeah, that was that was my experience of childhood, which I I really resent now. To mm. be honest, it makes me quite angry to think about how I think my childhood was ruined by these thoughts that I was encouraged to have by attending meetings and having these this this poisonous, toxic information given to me constantly about you know, the end of the world about God destroying the wicked and me being responsible personally to save as many people as possible. Um, and I think that's incredibly unhealthy. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, has had a lasting mark upon me personally. Yeah. Um, I think it's mm. um, the thing that probably makes it complicated for feelings, I imagine, is because obviously in regards to why you were there, people that loved you would have thought they were doing their best for of you. course and they mm. wanted to make sure that i mean if you believed truly like mm. you did um you know if you still believed as thoroughly as you did when i was being born you probably would be in it yourself wouldn't you mm. and i would be in it because you'd think that was the best thing to do that's right so it's it is a complicated issue isn't it yeah um so then as i as i grew up a bit um as i started to enter my teenage years obviously 
that's always difficult because teenage years are difficult so you start to think about um the opposite sex and all that sort of stuff so i don't want to get into all of that but um or even difficult i suppose just even if it's not the opposite sex i think just um no matter what, what as a witness as you come into that awakening it can either be de- can be devastating if you realize that it's not the opposite sex uh, well absolutely well. i mean I, all can't, sorts of... I can't imagine um i would actually like to do an interview with somebody who's experienced that because mm. i think if you happen to be gay when as a as a young jehovah's witness i mean that it's hard enough anyway but that must be absolutely horrendous mm. um but for me it was because you're not allowed to have any uh, girlfriend, um, you, you know. You don't experiment with with having a girlfriend or having a boyfriend. There's none of mm-hmm. that. If you have a, for me as a man, if I have a girlfriend, then it would have to be with a view to marriage. Mm. So it literally was that. So at a, as a 16 or 17 year old, you know, it was too young to get married. So you had no no way of having a romantic relationship and I'm not talking about sex here just a romantic relationship with somebody special to learn how to be a boyfriend mm. do you know what I mean there was none of that so it's almost like I don't know seeing out of pride and prejudice I suppose there's no dating there is no dating dating is forbidden unless you are you do it with a view to marriage I mean how ridiculous is that you know would you like to come out to the pictures straight away that's saying I like you enough to get married to you I mean mm. that's like the most talk about ramping up the pressure yeah. it's ridiculous so we you know we didn't have I didn't have any girlfriends I didn't get used to feeling that I could have a girlfriend um, it was just a very difficult time and, and I, I couldn't really you know I couldn't have anything to do with with girls at all you know I just had to associate with my mates and play football and cricket and all that sort of thing so there's a lot of suppression there which is a subject for another time I guess because it's quite an in-depth topic but Mm. I think again that's incredibly unhealthy Mm. for um, young uh, witnesses not to have any way of expressing interest um, romantically towards anybody else until you are ready to get married um anyway so that that was during my teenage years now up until uh, i suppose i i remember having doubts around 14 15 time and those doubts started to get quite loud and i i struggled with quite a lot of things i struggled with prayer because i felt just didn't feel like I was talking to anybody <laughs> so prayer for Jehovah's Witnesses is essentially it's not a big ceremonial thing it's really just a private you bow your head you talk to Jehovah but I always I just struggled to to feel that I was talking to anybody um, but I did it I tried to pray and I begged Jehovah to make me believe um, more and more because I wanted to believe um, but anyway, I had lots of doubts. I had doubts about creation because it seemed to me that what I'd learned at school about evolution seemed like kind of made sense. Mm. Adam and Eve, talking serpents, the flood, um, animals going into an ark. 
How did you get away with learning evolution? Because I would have thought there would have been a, like that's banned. You had yeah. to go sit with the books again. But... No, the way that they at the time they told me, well, evolution is a theory. This is mm. what fundamentalists always say. So evolution is a theory. So it doesn't mean it's true, but it's a theory. So you can learn about the theory. But at the same time, I was learning, we had a book called Did Man Get Here by Creation or Evolution? And so I would read that and that would give me alternative facts, <laughs> alternative views about um, evolution and so on. But it was, it didn't really stack up and I couldn't help but but worry about this. This was another big worry because, you know, I wanted to believe it was the truth, but here was all this evidence and this logic that was just just not making any sense. I mean, one of the big things that didn't make sense to me was animals that... If animals were not supposed to kill and eat each other, then why are they seemingly designed to do just that? Mm. You know, if, if God designed all the animals, then why did he design them as hunters and prey? Yeah. And you can't explain it away by saying, well, you know, the teeth can be used to rip apart plants as well as flesh. I mean, camouflage, there's a great example. Think about it the other way around. Why are animals having this fantastic camouflage mm. to stop other animals eating them mm -hmm. if they were never made to do that? What mm. is this little fashion statement? Mm. So why, why, where's camouflage coming? The the fact that some animals run incredibly fast and and you know the way they hunt and their behaviors th this did not make any sense mm -hmm. it bothered me it was on my mind so I, I worried about all those things but I did still want to be a Jehovah's Witness because it was all I knew everybody my parents my brother my cousins my uncles my aunties all my friends all my childhood friends everybody everything i did I, I i it was all revolved around that life and why would i want to stop doing that um so I, I suppressed all those worries and doubts um and i i decided that it was time to get baptized okay so you decided to get baptized yeah um what does that mean to people i guess that know christianity and think oh didn't you do that when you were a baby yeah so Jehovah's Witnesses technically don't practice infant baptism, although I would argue that that's changed now. But um, in the days when I was growing up, you didn't get baptised until you were considered to be of an age where you understood what you were doing. And generally that was around 16, 17, something like that. Some, um, there were some younger than that, 14 and so on, but there's often a little bit of discussion, Ooh, very young to be getting baptised. So it was felt that you needed to be of an age where you could make this decision for yourself. Before you got baptised, you did a private thing, which was you you said a prayer to Jehovah, dedicating your life to him. So that was something like, you know, dear Jehovah, I want to say that I want to dedicate my life to you, that I will always be your servant and I will do whatever it is you want me to do. So you're kind of making a, a vow, if you like, to Jehovah, that you are going to um, worship him forever and essentially be his servant. Um, and so I did that. I prayed in that way. It's a private thing. No one else hears that. But I did that. And then the baptism bit is the 
um, outward demonstration to everybody else that you've done that. So in order to be able to qualify for for baptism, you'd have to go through a set of questions with an elder that comes round to your house and asks these questions about, you know, do you believe this and do you believe that? And tell me about this and tell me about that. And have you dedicated your life to Jehovah? And you go through these questions and they then decide whether you're qualified to get baptised. And then you get baptised at a an assembly, which is generally, you know, few hundred thousand people whatever a bit more than that probably um and there's some sort of pool where you would go and get dunked get dunked um and then you'd come up and from that moment you are now considered to be a dedicated and baptized witness um so they've kind of got you locked in uh at that moment Mm. because you are now somebody who is you know has committed to this thing and there are consequences if you decide not to to do that anymore. And of course, from a personal perspective, you've made a personal commitment to God. So for me, I took that seriously. So I believe that I'd done that and I wanted to live up to that commitment. I'll talk about a bit later on another version or another episode, if you like, Um how I feel about that now but at the time obviously I I took that seriously so yeah I got baptised I do remember sitting at home because mum and dad had my brother had gone in the car I don't know why but I was going on the coach for some reason I think everyone went on the coach didn't they that was going no not everyone I I did anyway and um, so I was sat waiting for the coach on my own in the living room I'll never forget it and I remember sat there I sat there and I I literally cried and prayed to Jehovah to make me believe it. So even on the day of my baptism, I was begging Jehovah to make me have faith, to make me believe it because I had doubts. Mm. And that was at 16 um, when I got baptised. So I, I, you know, I never did really get that blessing. I never did get that answer to make me believe it, even though I wanted to. So I got baptised everybody is you know congratulates you you're suddenly a bit of a celebrity for a day congratulations brother Matha you know and it also meant that it opened up certain other avenues so I could do things in the congregation I could become a ministerial servant I could do other things um, which I I did you could pioneer pioneer yeah spent spending a certain amount of time but there was a there was an element of um I don't know uh, being given responsibility um, which we can talk about another time but that's that's kind of me from my earliest memories as a Jehovah's Witness coming up to to my baptism um, yeah okay for this particular one we're going to stop here okay yeah we're going to chunk this up aren't we because it, it this it's is going to go on for about three long, hours isn't it so I think we need to <laughs> yeah. stop at this section yeah. then we're going to go well, I'm not going to tell you. You have to wait. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about the next phase of my life, I suppose. Yeah. 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 Okay. Cool. Right. So do a review because this is a hard thing to talk about. So I think you deserve yeah, a review. I, I I appreciate, you know, that there's what I think is interesting these days is there's a lot of people on YouTube particularly giving mm. their personal testimony and their stories. And I think that's great. Um, mine is just another one. You yeah. know, it's, uh, it's no better or worse than anybody else's, but... 
I think the more people that do this, the better. Mm. Um, there are some risks involved in doing it, but I think for me, it's um, it's kind of an important part of 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 your life. So you know, it's it's why should you not talk about it really? Um, so yeah, um, thank you for listening. But yeah, please do subscribe to our podcast. Yeah. That would be lovely. And um, if you've got any comments or questions you want to ask, then yeah please um reach out on twitter because that's yeah. the most relevant platform i would suggest yeah twitter our twitter handle is at what sitter so what should i think about um is yeah our so what and then s-i-t-a that's right thank you very much for listening see you, see you in a week time. bye bye what should i think about